caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. What's going on with you? Uh, you know, I'm just enjoying these these fake summer days. These these hot days when it's not quite fall, but there's a hint of fall in the air. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I I wanted to talk to you. I, I I've been absolutely busting to talk to you about this. Um, do you remember recently we shared, or rather reshared, one of our favorite pieces of audio of all time from the football world, which is uh, Steve McLaren, <laughs> when Steve McLaren was manager, became manager FC Twenty, and then decided he was going to be Dutch in the press conferences. You recall that? It's hard to forget. Yeah. Every now and again, it's one of those stories you go back to. So I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it happened to me. Oh no. No. I, I, I did it. And I think I understand why it happens now. So I went to the barbers on Thursday and I went to my usual guy who's, um, he's from Kosovo. And, um, but he was, he was already in a chair with someone. And there's this this other man there who seemed like he was going to be a quiet kind of guy. And he goes, oh, I'll, I'll cut your hair. And I'm like, oh, it's a risk. But like, mm. I, I'm kind of at the point where you can I can walk around Brooklyn or New York City with a bad haircut because nobody cares. Most of the people I'll meet in the street don't know me. Whereas back in Ireland, when I was going to school or college or into town, <laughs> you invariably I'd meet someone I knew. And they'd make a comment on your haircut. So I said, ah, I'll risk it with this guy. So I sit down and straight away I realize he's got a very thick accent. I'm also conscious of my accent and he's a talker. He doesn't want me to just sit there and cut the hair. He wants to talk. I'm wearing a soccer jersey. So he wants to talk about the Champions League and the European football. Mm. And he, I ask him where he's from originally because he asked me. And then he says, I'm from Uzbekistan. But I, I didn't hear what he said properly. So I'm uh, sorry, say it again. So, sorry, where, what, where'd you say? He said, oh, Uzbekistan, former Russian Republic. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he talks about football and I'm only getting maybe three or four words. And he's only getting two or three of my words when I respond. So all of a sudden I'm in this scenario where I start trying to not speak English well to bridge the deficit between our two abilities to speaking <laughs> and, and, you think that, up, and you think that will help him understand you clearer i just went i clicked into steve mode and i went full steve mode to the point where he starts talking about he asked me what what game i saw today and it was thursday so i, I said I, I watched manchester united and he goes uh oh ronaldo uh you know and and ronaldo amazing shape for 37 and i i go like this physical, strong. So I start dropping words. Instead of forming sentences, I'm just saying things. Fantastic. <laughs> that's like okay. That's, I don't think that's egregious. I thought, oh, you, no. I thought you were going full full Steve with like the how you no, say. No, I start, I, there was an accent as well. There, like not <laughs> his, I wasn't replicating his accent back to him, but it was this kind of, as if English isn't my first language accent. Um, I appreciate your effort to explain it like and try to rationalize it we've all been in conversations with people who don't 
include English as their first language. It's never happened to me where I've suddenly felt the need to change my accent so as to mirror that person. I, I don't think you can explain I've, this one away. I've got, I've got I think a it's weird. That, uh, I think it's a quality in you that's been unlocked, and it's weird. Well, well I mean, let's, let's hear the classic Steve yeah. McLaren, just to give people some context if they've never heard this before. I say, uh, I think we, we are not just uh, what you call underdogs, but massive underdogs. No, 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 Steve. It's not what you call underdogs. It's <laughs> literally what you, Steve McLaren, call underdogs. It's not a you word that we made up. You're one of us. It's you your who word. speak the, you who speak the English language, Steve. Ah, oh. well, I just, I, I just found myself, you know, saying things in a different way, just modification, modification, just to. Uh, it's one know. of my favorite scenes in the Office, JJ, the American Office, when. Uh, Michael Scott and a couple other Dunder Mifflin employees go on a business trip to Montreal and right. they're meeting with the the concierge and she speaks English like she, there's there's not really a language barrier she also right. speaks French but Michael thinks that he needs to ingratiate himself with the the French speaking population so he does it by saying things to her like you look how you say radiant tonight <laughs> <laughs> he starts speaking like that. That's you in that barber, in that chair. Yeah. My haircut just... looks how you say wonderful. Now, I've I've embarrassed friends before. When when I was in Liverpool, for, for the first ever Liverpool game I went to with my friends, we jumped into a cab, mm-hmm. and uh, I told him where we wanted to go in a Scouse accent. That is, oh. The, the levels of cringe I must have met, met, made those guys feel was just Yeah, just if, I, if I were to ever go to Ireland with you and we hopped in a cab and I suddenly busted out an Irish accent to tell the cab driver where to go, what, you would look at me with, with utter contempt. I'd vomit all yeah. over you <laughs> immediately. Well, but, I, you know, in the, in the spirit of International Week, which we're in right now, I'm going to watch all the Nations League games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and afterwards, for the rest of the day, I'm going to talk like I'm in a Nations League press conference being interviewed by an English person, and English is not my first language. I think that's, that's a great idea. Do. I don't think it will annoy anyone in your life. I think you should go for it, full bore. Uh, I'll tell you what, in the spirit of that, let's discuss how you say U.S. men's national team right now as they prepare for two upcoming friendlies, the final dress rehearsal before the real show, my friend. Here we go. Here we go. Yes, Andrew, we are at that point. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, I have to say, I'm excited for these friendlies knowing that it's the, it's the last action we see before the real thing. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, uh, it's pretty wild that we're finally here. This, this long journey is uh, we're making the final turn and heading down the stretch run now. So, I mean, look, there are, these are friendlies, but these are not normal friendlies. This feels different. This feels more important. This is the most important tryout, essentially, for some of these guys to date. Um, and the list of guys who are vying for a place in the final World Cup squad, it's, it's kind of growing now as injuries are starting to hit this team. Uh, better for them to be hitting now than two months from now, but it, it's, it's still not good. The latest wave of injuries, we already knew some guys who were going to be out. Uh, Stefan, although he, Zach Stefan did return to Burrow, um, but I guess kind of precautionary reasons, they're not going to bring him to, uh, to these games. Tim Weah is out with an injury. Anthony Robinson, we knew about those, of course, but now you can add Musa, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Chris Richards, 
and so with that, enter Johnny Cardosa, Eric Palmer Brown, and Mark McKenzie. Um, so with regards to the injuries, the thing that I've been trying to decide in my head right now is whether or not to be worried about this or whether or not this is a big deal. My gut reaction is to say it is not a big deal, that it's it's okay for this to be happening now as long as these guys have time um, to be healthy in time for the, the real deal, which by all accounts they will. None of these injuries. Miles Robinson right now is the only marquee injury that is going to affect the World Cup at this point, um, which is which is fine. So, yeah, yeah, it's not good. I want Anthony Robinson to be there. I want Tim Weah to be there at, at these upcoming games. they got to keep developing chemistry and playing together. Um, but my gut reaction, J.J., is to say that it's it's not a huge deal for those guys to miss this. No, it's not. And, um, I, again, we're, we're assuming that the injuries – and, and everything we've been told about the injuries is that they're not like a, these long-term catastrophic month-long injuries. And so it, it isn't a big deal. It's not ideal, but at the same time, I'm really in the in, in the headspace now that I think, apart from a few questions, that this manager really does know what his squad is and certainly knows what the starting 11 will be. That doesn't mean someone can't play their, their way into contention, but I, I, I do feel it's it's coagulated and solidified in, in the manager's mind, in Greg Bar- Berhalter's mind, what he wants. Yeah. So, so I really feel like this is certainly an opportunity for these players to play. It's certainly an opportunity. But I, I'm more and more with Alexi Lattice on this, that by and large, the guys who have got us this far will be on that plane. And in that sense, it's actually not that hard to have an idea who's going to be going to Qatar. I think you're right, and he's right. So, I mean, out of a 26-man squad, what do you think? I mean, Bearhalter himself, didn't he reference that there's kind of four spots that are up for grabs right now? So, I mean, look, that tells you that <laughs> I can't do the math quickly in my head, but it's like a, over 80-something percent of the team is sort of solidified. Again, barring yeah. injuries. Um, and that sounds well, about Well, if you're right outfield players, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, you've, you've got – he's thinking about, what, 20%. Yeah, that's that he's curious about. Right um, now, I will say this: that even if it is a small number, um, this is not necessarily a situation where I would say, you know, all right, well, he doesn't know who the last four guys on the bench are. Yeah, it's interesting. You want to know who's going to be on the team, but ultimately, we know what the team is going to be. So, like, it's almost incidental whatever those last four wind up being. I don't necessarily feel that way. In this situation, there are certain names that I believe are still up for grabs that could potentially play a very important role in Qatar. Um, The first one, if you want to start rolling through, I mean, the first one here is a guy that I know you've talked about a lot over the last two years or so. And I think I think Josh Sargent has a chance here in this in this camp and in these two games Uh, again. I really. I agree. Yeah. Like I, I said last week that I think people need to start wrapping their minds around Jesus Ferreira being the starter at that position at, at the number nine spot. And I still believe that to be true. But I think Josh Sargent in his current form, if he comes in to this camp and plays like that and immediately kind of like reintegrates himself into the team, like no time has gone by and he's and he's playing Narch City style with the U.S. men's national team, then like he'll make the team and he'll be a, I, I think, a, a a contributor for them at the World Cup. I also think that there's a flexibility that I'm I'm convinced we'll see from Greg Berhalter in terms of a horses for courses approach 
for Wales, Iran, England, that it's not going to be like, I, I think the basis of the team, the back four, and potentially the midfield will be the same for all those games. Maybe there might be tweaks in the midfield. Maybe they want to might want to put an extra man in there against England. I don't know. But generally, the back four, the midfield is solid. But up front, I do think that, you know, Josh Sargent gives you something a little bit different from a Jesus, uh, Jesus Ferrara, uh, from a Ricardo Pepe in that central. You know, I mean, it, it's just a clip from training, but... If you watch that clip on on Twitter from training uh, yesterday, I believe it was, where he's holding off a defender, spins around and clips across in for a, I think it was a, it was Pepe. It a Pepe, he- Pepe header. Yeah. You know, I've never thought that Sargent's an out-and-out goal scorer. I think he's got other things to his game. And and maybe Bearhalter can can utilize that now that he's in form and bring him into the squad and and, and have him do those kind of those kind of things. Um now I, I'm sure there's people screaming saying, well, if you want something different, isn't the most different thing you could possibly bring Pete Jordan, PFOC, especially with the form he's in right now for Union Berlin. I I get that. Personally, I would have him involved in this camp 100%, but that's not the case. So there's there's not really any much point talking about it. Um, But there there is. Oh, but there is. But there 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 just is because it's – so, okay, so let's look at it like this. How, like, ultimately, how many forwards do you think they're going to bring to Qatar? Because right now, I would say you can you can tell me if I, if you think I'm wrong, but I think there are six guys in like an attack position of some sort that are locks to be there: Pulisic, Aronson, Reyna, Ferreira, Wea, and I think Paul Ariola is as well. And some people might have an issue with that, but I'm. I think he's a guy that Greg trusts. He was part of, for whatever, I don't know what this means or matters, but like he was part of the U.S. soccer jersey unveiling. It feels like it would be really cruel to include someone in that who wasn't going to make the team. So to me, that's six right there. How right. many how, how many are there going to be? So between, let's say, Sergeant, Pepe, Jordan Morris, we got to include him, he's at this camp, and PFOC, who's not even at this camp, that's four guys vying for, what do you think? one spot potentially maybe two yeah maybe and and again it's it's interesting that uh like don't they list um giovanni reina as like a as a forward or attacking player rather than a midfielder yeah yeah so i included him in my in the six there okay see i i think of him more as a, i mean he's attacking he, midfielder. he can do both and and he might be asked to do both um but I, I did include him in the six, and I. But you're right. Okay, so yeah, maybe, you're probably you're probably right. You're looking at one or one or two spots there, um, right? And but, so uh, it's just hard. But Andrew, if he's not going to be if if P if Fox not going to be there for these games, just wasn't in the running whatsoever. Um, but I I don't mean not in the running, but I'm sure he he crossed uh, Bearholder's mind. But he's he's not going to be there, and these are the last. The last tune-ups, there is no more. There will be this camp, but we don't know the nature of what that will be. Um, isn't, isn't that it for him? I think it, Barring injury to someone? You're probably right. I just can't wrap my mind around it, so I continue to beat this drum because it's weird. It's weird. It's just weird. I've heard, I've heard everything there's to hear about his style of play. His style of play can fit into this system. It just can. He's not some freak unicorn who's doing something different than every other striker on earth. So I... I I don't get it. And, like, fine, if you wanted to not take seriously what he did in the Swiss League last year, again, that wasn't me. I took it seriously. 
But I can understand the people who didn't. But he's gone to a a legitimate great league, a top five league. He's in the Bundesliga. He's scoring goals. He's making plays. He has assists to his name this season. He's not just a goal scorer. He's great in the air. I saw, I think he's third among all players in the Bundesliga so far this season in, in aerial duels one. Like, he, he's and tall. That is he something brings something that... different. He's six foot three. Like, yeah. I, yeah, but, I, don't, but Andrew... I don't get it. Like, so how do you compare what so we're all loving on Josh Sargent right now, which I get. I am too. How do you compare what Josh Sargent is doing, putting up big numbers and playing really well in a in the championship in a second division in England, versus what right. PFOC is doing in a top tier league at Union Berlin? Like, if they're both playing great, I would probably give the edge to the guy who's playing and doing it at the, in the Bundesliga. But I, I get look if Sargent brings something different where they think he can be more versatile. Fine, I, I understand that too. I wouldn't be upset. If either one made it, I guess what I'm just saying in a long-winded way is I don't understand his not being included. It doesn't make sense to me. It can be explained to me by people who know way more than me about the sport from now until the end of time, and I don't think I'll ever truly get why. Yeah, no, I, I, I you, you. By the way, you're preaching to the to most people, and certainly in the USMNT uh, Twitter sphere. I mean, this is exactly the way they feel. Um, I, I just, and I, I, I'm repeating myself from last week. What is there to learn from Jordan Morris? What is there to learn from Paul Ariola? I like can't one of those guys sit out and get PFOC in and give him more time and get an even better look at him. You know, I just it's it's going to be one of those that I've I've already seen people on 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 Twitter say you know this this is going to come this has the potential to come back and bite him. But I mean, all all selections and non-selections have that sure. that that added risk with them. You know, the difference between a Greg Bearhalter team and my team is that Greg Bearhalter's selection has to play. My selection, who I want never has to play. It never has to be put to the test. I, I get all that. Mm-hmm. I would have brought him. Um, I, I do think there are qualitative differences in the things that he does um, outside of the box to the things that Sargent does outside of the box. I, I do think that. And I, what screams um, to me about the front three that Bearhalter plays is rotation, pressing, energy, movement. And I think that Sargent could could slot into that easier maybe than PFOC okay. could. But again, I'm I'm not I'm not sure that that's entirely reason not to bring him and again have something different to come off the bench if if you had to be more direct in a game he's a he's a guy that could could give you a different element up front but yeah i mean we're going over all ground here because i, know. I think i think we're in we're kind of in uh, we personally, have, we have, I, you're, I, you think that we're kind of in look just accept it already phase of this. oh i i i'm very much in the mode that there, there are not. You are not going to see a, a Theo Walcott esque surprise from to the 2006 World Cup inclusion uh, from Greg Berhalter. Um or even I, I'm pretty. Point. I'm. Pre- we can read this guy at this point, yeah. surely. Yeah, I think you're right. Which kind of leads to the, another position that I think you know another one that fans have been struggling with, um, and that is at center back. And, you know, the confusion that there is now at that position as to who's going to have that spot. We, we all assume Walker Zimmerman will be one of the starters for the U.S. Uh, I, again, I think just like with Jesus Ferreira, 
I think American fans, you got to wrap your mind around it. I, I believe it's going to be Aaron Long next to him. These injuries I, I, at this camp don't help. Carter Vickers and Chris Richards not being there, you know, those might have been the top two contenders to unseat Long. Uh, with them not there, I'm not saying they can't play their way into it over the next couple months before the World Cup, but I think it's essentially going to be Aaron Long's to lose is, is how I'm reading it. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the rights or the wrongs of that. Uh, we're at that point where for the, for maybe like the past two to three years, we can debate and argue on Twitter about what the manager should and shouldn't do. But now we've kind of seen his patterns. We're so close to the end now. And by the end, I mean the end of this qualification cycle, this learning cycle, this selection cycle. And now it's just going to be the World Cup, the big show. And I just feel like I know what a centre-back pairing is going to be. And it's I feel like it's going to be Long and Zimmerman. That last international break where Long got so much time, really, and... and Cameron Carter Vickers got significantly less mm-hmm. was was now look there's going to be substitutes there's going to be guys on the bench uh, of course but in terms of the starting 11 I feel like it's nailed on it's going to be Long and Zimmerman I think so too I think Richards might have been the guy who had the best chance but he gambled you know we talked about it when he made the move to Crystal Palace that we liked it in theory but he was going to have to earn a spot there, it was not clear who he was going to unseat. And up to this point, he hasn't unseated anyone. He's barely played. And now he's hurt. So I think that you know, like if he was going to be the one that they were going to give every opportunity to be that guy to take that spot away, he he hasn't done it. He has not done it. And there, I don't know if is, there's enough time left for him to do it. There is so much fear from people uh, about – just the, the concept of having two MLS centre-backs at a World Cup against the firepower they're potentially going to come up against. Uh, I'm not saying I share that. I don't know how I feel yet um, because I've liked Walker Zimmerman in a in a U.S. jersey. Yeah, the, the but, MLS... But they've mean... never... They, but they've, they, we just... I guess at this level, at this tournament... And, and then there's another part of me says, hey, JJ, international football, not what it used to be, or was it ever that good? You know, it's guys can, we, we often see example of players who excel, who don't necessarily play at, uh, who excel at international football, who do not necessarily play at the highest level in club football. I mean, yeah. that's happened. That's happened before. The MLS but, um, thing, that's a real thing in people's minds because oh, really? uh, it, it is. you get a lot of casual MLS fans who aren't necessarily locked in on a, a certain team or a certain game. They're kind of just like viewing it from 30,000 feet. And what are they seeing this season, JJ? Week after week, 5-3, 6-1, 6-4, nil, like goals yeah. and goals and goals. And the thing we've talked about is that it feels like the attack in this league has just like blossomed in a way that the defense has not. And you're seeing that basically translate into these massive score lines. Um, so yeah, like I get that there will be fans of MLS who who will worry about that, but that like that's not a stigma that should apply to every defender in MLS. I mean, look, 5 months ago, we were 
fully prepared to go to this World Cup with two MLS defenders, and I don't think many people were complaining about it or, or all that afraid about it. We talked a little bit about, you know, that's going to be a big moment for these two guys that haven't consistently gone up against, you know, like playing England at the World Cup was going to be a big thing for Zimmerman and, and Miles Robinson to walk into. But for the most part, we felt pretty good about that partnership, and those were both MLS players. Um, so I don't know if it's so much the league. I just think that there are things in Aaron Long's game and the fact that he's coming off an Achilles injury too. And I, like, has he been the same player post that injury as he was before it? I don't know. Maybe not in certain aspects of his game. Yeah. So that I, I think there's there's I like him. Like I like Aaron Long. Um, and you know, a couple of years ago he was on track to be this guy who was going to start for the U.S. potentially. And you know, I think a lot of people were fine with it, but. Um, but there's just enough doubt in there right now that it's got you nervous. It just, it's not a lockdown position. And that's, that's a position that you, you kind of need to be when you're going to be Look, facing and, co- competition like Harry Kane and, and Bale. There, there, there also has to be trust in that, in what the manager says, you have to fit that he said, well, look, we want, we do want to play a higher line. And if that is the case, then we need guys who can turn and have recovery speed. And, and you just oh, Robinson, you really hope that he's miles would have been perfect. Well, yeah. let's not dwell, Andrew. Let's not I dwell. I know, I know. Um, one other one, just to talk about, uh, I mentioned Zach Steffen before. Um, he is not included, like we said, at this camp. So it's, here we go. Like, uh, this is Matt Turner's chance, I think, to to take this. Um, now, like, he could also lose it. But he might, it, it might be his right now. Uh, and if he, you know, one mistake... And that could be like with Stefan not there to, you know, make a mistake potentially of his own. Like all you'll see is Turner making a mistake, and so that will that will shift again in people's minds who the number one should be. But I think I think coming into this camp, I believe Matt Turner is the number one keeper, and if he just plays representatively to what Matt Turner is, I think I think he will remain that. So I I, I I can't uh, I can't see if if Turner has a good camp, he's there. He's in the last, the last games, the last matches that he can be assessed in, and he plays well. I can't see how Bearhalter can then go back to Stefan, albeit Stefan like looks like as if the terms of the deal at Middlesbrough are that if he's available, he has to play. The terms of the deal from City to Middlesbrough that was the rumor that if he's fit, he's got to play. So um, maybe Stefan goes on a run, and um, well, he had a clean sheet the other night, so maybe. Maybe it is the case that Bearhalter really just wants Stefan in there, but I would be shocked if he flips back again if Turner has a solid game at yeah. this point. Um, I, mean, yeah. I, I don't see I, I don't see the advantage in I, I I don't see enough of of something that Turner can't do. Like he's he's a better, in my view, a better shot stopper than Stefan. Mm-hmm. And okay, his kicking maybe is not that good. I think Stefan's kicking is is better, but possibly overrated. Maybe we just you just stick with what the goalkeeper can do best and go from there. Yeah, and, and, I, and I tend to Turner. lean that way. And Bearhalter did talk about how he met with Arsenal's goalkeeping coach and they watched video of Turner from like his first day of training to where he is now. And and you know they all talk about how you can see a market improvement uh, just from that. Again, there's there's going to be a loud chorus of people that will not that just will not take results in training seriously in terms of what that will equate to. Well, this is what we have now. This is what we have. It's the never, time yeah. is so limited. There's going to be a lot of guys where we're just going to be assessing based on on limited minutes. I think we always hoped. I think there was a, maybe a, I'll speak for myself. Um, 
there was always this part of me because I'm just so I'm just so like accustomed to this position for the U.S. being a lockdown position of not not the position of worry. And so I think I always just felt, oh, well, it'll sort itself out at some point. You know, Turner, he'll he'll wind up somehow a number one in Europe or, you know, Stefan, uh, maybe he'll get loaned or, or sold to like a German club and he'll become their number one and, and he'll be good. Like, I think I always just felt like at some point it was going to just sort itself out magically and, and then the clear number one would emerge. And that is not that's just not going to happen. It's going to be blurry all the way up until the, the first ball is kicked in Qatar. It's just it's not an easy decision for, for Greg to make. And it's he's probably going to be second guessed no matter which decision it is that he goes with. That's just the reality of what that situation is going to be. It's very strange. I, one, one note before we get off it, it. It is interesting, you know, the call up of Johnny Cardosa, mm-hmm. um, who has like significant um experience in in brazil syria you know he's he's kind of i i just wonder with the with the minutes he's you know he can play i mean he's he's a center midfielder and with the minutes he is definitely racking up at club level you know maybe versus the more limited minutes and appearances that uh, luca della torre is putting up you know maybe maybe he has a chance to to put a bit of doubt in, in, in Greg's mind. I don't believe so. I, I think... If, if Luca Del Torre is not on this... I know he's only played 17 minutes so far with Celta Vigo, which is, right. which is worrisome. That's worrisome. It is. If he's not on this team, I will riot. Yeah, I know. I, I Again, I, I shouldn't kind of waver away from, from what I do believe is... he like, Del Torre has, has performed admirably when, when called upon by... Um, by Greg Berhalter, and I believe he likes what he does, and and that's enough now, and that will be enough now. But I'm just any man just, bold enough to wear his own jersey while on vacation is a man that I want on this team. Any man who really often looks like Edgar Allan Poe, um, <laughs> as was pointed out by one of our listeners, um, I believe that that raven should fly all the way to Qatar. <laughs> um, See what I did there, literally. Yeah, no, you're you're very bright. You're very bright. Uh, one last one, JJ. I'm wondering if if you have a take on this. The, the fullback, backup fullback position. There's some yeah. there's there's some interest in like a Joe Scally versus Sam Vines competition going on over the course of the the next week here. But I mean, we've got le- those are left and, and and right fullbacks, you know. So it, it indicates depth to me. I mean, Vines is having a fine season in in Belgium. Um, Joe Scally uh, doing well in the Bundesliga. Um, I think it's it's absolutely brilliant that you can have those players in there, and uh, I'm I, I really want to see them get a run, and I'm um, sure they will. I would think that they would. Well, I don't know. I maybe, would hope maybe they, that'll be I, more I would, of a, a in training evaluation, but I would think that you'll would, see why, both of them. Why, why would you not start them? Well, actually, yeah, you'll have. I mean, Anthony Robinson's not he's not there, so yes, of course. What am I talking about? You'll definitely see yeah. them. You'll definitely see them. But you could put them both in left and right. Go for it. Reggie Cannon too. We should mention him. Um, as somebody, but again, who, he's again, not a lockdown Cannon, for this team. Cannon's Cannon's a well-known entity. I, I, Vines and and uh, Vines and Scally, we we can see more of. Yeah, and I I would I would fully expect that we will. Um, so there you go. I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. There's one other U.S. men's national team thing that I want to talk about, and it's 
It's the face of the team, my friend. We need to talk about Christian Pulisic. He's been in the news the past couple days. Uh, Going to have a little conversation about him. There's uh, some things also we should say in the Premier League, Europe, um, that we'll talk about as well before we get out on this podcast today. But uh, a little bit of Pulisic next. More caught off sides still to come. Don't go anywhere. Hello, back again on caught off side. Early game on uh, on Friday. I believe it's an 8.25 a.m. kickoff. Wonderful. Football with breakfast. Love it. Love yeah. it. I mean, we're used to it. That's that's no. It's probably the time that we're most accustomed to consuming the sport. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, just uh, yeah, I guess I could... it's just a, a PSA for anyone out there who's just not not used to on a weekday looking for the U.S. men at such an early time. I think I'm going to have a burrito and a cup of coffee with that one. Hmm. Knife and fork. Oh, straight into the hands, Andrew. Lick the fingers. Oh, everything. I had a conversation recently uh, with somebody about the bur- the great burrito debate that we had, and yeah. um, and because we were eating burritos and they were they were huge and messy, and so I I said to him I was like just a quick question I swear I didn't tip my hand either way, all I said was simply I was said a burrito like this, hands or knife and fork, and he said a burrito like this knife and fork. I said, okay, good. Just just making sure. That's all. Well, I was out for dinner with you on Friday, and we went to a quite fantastic uh, Chinese place on the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. And um, you didn't even consider the chopsticks that were put down for you. No, straight no. to straight, straight, to, the straight to the knife and fork. Straight to the fork. Yeah. Is that disrespectful? Yeah. I mean, the fork is there. Well, I mean, I'm what, not what was let the dis- fork just sit there all alone? It needed to be well, used. I got away with, so I picked up the chopsticks, but they were, they were like, they weren't like the wooden ones you get, uh, would take out. They were like reusable enamel ones. Mm. So they were very, very nice. And I picked them up and I did a little, nobody was watching cause everyone was looking at the kind of looking at the menu. So I did a, a fake, a kind of a, a little test imagining I had food to see, could I get away with this? I could not. What? Using them? Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can use chopsticks, but it's, I mean, look, that so was a I. meal. We got the lazy Susan going. There's food flying all over the place. I just needed to be shoveling food into my mouth as quickly as possible. Because when you're going family I, style at an eight-person dinner, if if you're slow, you're you're missing out. You're going to lose food. So I'm shoveling food in at a meal like that. I greatly enjoyed the Susan. Um, I loved the way we just all ordered mains and then span it around and just had a bit of everything. Yeah. Fantastic. It was really, it was a great time. You though, you had to leave slightly early, and you, it was, it was almost really a horrifying move by you. You left, said goodbye to everyone. This was after the meal was over, but we, the bill hadn't come yet, and you made no mention of the bill. I had to text you, say, "Well, what's the deal here? You're going to no, Venmo no, us you or didn't. what?" No, you didn't. But you didn't because the guy who had organized the meal, I had already checked in with him. So I he said, made "Listen, no man, mention just, of that. Just I'm going to vent. No, I, I, but I don't. I, you're not. You were." You were there, but you were not an organizing party. I didn't have to say anything to you. I don't. I don't know you. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but I, I met I, somebody. Said, w- w- "What's his deal?" I said, "Yeah, you're right. Let me text him." No one. No one spoke on your behalf. Oh, it was... don't, yeah. Don't worry about it. So I, you sent me how much I owed, by the way. Yeah, and yeah. it was like ten dollars too much. Which believe no, I, I that's think what we all paid. Of... No, 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 because Peter. Peter Rosenberg yeah. of Hot 97, he 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 got back to me and he said, oh, uh, you paid me too much. And he paid me the money back. So here's what I should tell you. He 
everyone paid him too much. He forgot that he had gotten takeout for his fiance. And so that was included in the overall bill. And then he realized that after the fact. And so he sent everyone uh, a little bit of money back. So Listen, I was not I, just, tr- I was not trying to force you to spend more. All right. I think it was an elaborate scam. This is the uh, no no you were charged the leaving early tax. It's uh that was applied to your bill specifically. Oh, fair enough. That's fine. That's but, okay. But it was a great time. I, I oh it was it was tremendous time. fun. And uh, what was hilarious was how um, a friend of ours he was opening it was like a a, a dumpling it was a soup dumpling, oh. and he just decided to <laughs> to lob it into his mouth and i mean this thing was was loaded yeah. and it exploded out the side of his mouth and it, it came so close to getting all over your shirt yeah, hey, got, you were horrified got on my napkin my uh, my chopsticks yeah he punctured the dumpling and it wasn't ready to be punctured is essentially what wonderful happened. uh jj polisic <sighs> okay. yeah he's um he's decided that it's time to write a book and some of the excerpts are Bethany out. Bethany isn't, but uh, go on. <laughs> so some of the excerpts of this book are out. My journey so far. Um, Good title. He's such a. I'm going to use this word. I don't mean for it to be disparaging, but bear with me as I explain it. He seems so inconsistent in his personality. Now that's a totally. I acknowledge that that is an unfair thing to say because I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. The only things that I can gather about his personality are the little things that I get from interviews, just kind of like the way you see him on the field. Like just you can kind of piece together things and you kind of in your own mind paint a picture of what you think a guy is all about. Right. And I wonder if you feel the same way as I do. To me, when I see this guy, I see a guy who doesn't strike me as somebody who's interested in like the like the extraneous stuff that comes along with being famous. Like the the interviews, like I feel like he doesn't. That's not his thing. He doesn't love that part of the game. He just loves soccer. He just wants to play this sport. And yeah, if it makes him a lot of money along the way, that's a that's a great, amazing thing that comes along with it. But like all the other stuff, he would strike me as somebody who's not interested in all that. But then you see like the GQ article where he's kind of like modeling. This, like this style of clothing that's different and interesting. And then you see him writing this book where he's, I mean, he's in some ways disparaging his manager and he's only just turned 24 this past weekend. And it's just like, well, like, who are you exactly? It's he's, he's complex in that way. It's, it's, it's strange to me. Well, the, I mean, the GQ was probably an exposure. It was something his management team came up with, most likely. Same as the but, book. But the GQ, very, I very much doubt he was too bothered about doing a book. And and and, I mean, the the timing of the book is obviously to coincide with the World Cup. There'll be increased Pulisic, uh, Pulisic interest. Don't forget, he's done an ad with Volkswagen as well. You know yeah, about pressure. And I'm, and I'm totally fine with like the Volkswagen ad, but like the GQ thing, like. You know, remember Christian Pulisic? What was it? Two, three years ago, he was the subject. Maybe it was more than that of a of a feature on sixty minutes. Like I could see stuff like that. But the GQ thing is like you're trying to reach kind of a different audience, and maybe that's smart. Like for his, to grow his brand, um, maybe that's a smart business move for him to do. I'm sure. just saying he didn't strike me as somebody who was interested in like how do I grow my brand and that I mean, kind the, of thing. I mean, did you learn anything from that interview? And it, and we interviewed the interviewer. Um, on the podcast and it, he it wasn't that he wasn't a good interviewer but i didn't learn anything new or interesting about uh pulisic i i think he's just like a kid 
he's just a regular kind of kid, maybe a bit quiet, slightly, you know, um, I, I always get the impression, you know, things up, things get to him, things upset him. He wants to play football and he, he wants to play at the highest level. I think he's, he, I do think he's aware of the perception around him. I do think he's aware of the ongoing uh, Chelsea intra-fan. Definitely. Uh, across the pond culture war. I'm sure he is. Definitely. Um, that he is the center of. I, I do think there's some pressure on him too. Um, but I mean, I, I often say to you, I don't think he's a guy me and you would, would ever go for a pint. You know, come well, on. I don't man. know. If, if that, we, that's not if fair. We, I don't think we would. I don't think we'd go for a drink with the guy. I, I just think he's just a just a kid. And, and if he was living on the Cornier Street and wasn't a brilliant footballer, he's just a normal kid. He seems to like computer games and um, and playing soccer and being really good at playing soccer and being seen to be really good and being first pick He's yeah. ultra Super competitive. competitive. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I think ultra competitive people often aren't the most interesting people. They're so singularly focused. Um, we've only had, we've had a hint, you know, like outside of his life, what do we know? There's a hint that, you know, he's a religious guy. Uh, there's a hint, uh, or has been a few hints dropped about maybe what his political views would be. But otherwise we know like just little tidbits, nothing. And I, I doubt we learn very much from this book, except that he's a, a competitor and a guy who wants to win really badly. Well, we've already learned a little bit, and he's kind of, you know, we've always surmised that his relationship with Thomas Tuchel was not a good one. And it seems like the excerpts that have been released from this book are sort of confirming that. Um, he talks here, I mean, he goes back to Chelsea's Champions League run, which they won, by the way. Like, this yeah. was a triumphant moment. But there are there are negative elements of it that he can't escape. And he writes about it here. Uh, he says, um, what happened before that game, the second leg of the Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid, what happened before that game was hugely disappointing for me. I'd had a really good first leg performance, and our following match was against Fulham in the league. Tuchel told me that he was resting me for the second leg as a result. Um, as a result, I didn't play a single minute in the Fulham game. Uh, then on match day of the second semi, Tuchel tells me he's changed his mind and he's going with Kai Havertz. I honestly was dumbfounded and very disappointed. <sighs> it's not, I mean, it's not a great look for Tuchel. It lets you in a little bit as to why Pulisic has had this kind of growing resentment. Um, he also wrote about Tuchel from that aforementioned first leg where Pulisic well, scored. But, no, but hang on. That, that'd be the reaction of most footballers. Did really well in the first leg, uh, was rested. Manager told me I was going to start the second and I didn't. I would say that's a tale as old as time. That's happened a lot. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that it reflects. I'm sure Tuchel had his reasons, you know? And I mean, we have to be honest, in terms of that campaign, what did Tuchel get wrong? Nothing. I mean, you're Pretty right. Much and in fact, Pulisic came on as a sub in the second leg and assisted on Mason Mount's goal to make a 2-0 in the 85th, which sealed it. But so you could almost say is... that like he, he played it right. The mistake would have been promising Pulisic a starting spot and resting him against Fulham because of But what of does it. promise? I mean, again, we don't like promise. You're right. You know, I don't mean to parse, but but that's what we should do. Like a manager will say, I'm looking to, he could say, I'm looking to start you against Real Madrid. That's why you're getting rested. Is that a promise? I mean, circumstances change. And I'm sure Tuchel has his own take on why he didn't start the second leg. You're probably right. You're probably I, right. I, 
these are the words of like a really just like a guy who's been largely disappointed at his time in Chelsea and it feels like big moments have been taken away from him. And and there's Pulisic has been that guy all the way through, either speaking through his father or speaking directly. You know, so I'm these things don't shock me. The second one was this this I found interesting. Well, he went even um, deeper. Like this, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So he talked the, about the goal that he scored. In the, yeah, in the, the untold semifinal. story behind that goal is that when uh, Antonio Rudiger has the ball, I can see he's looking to play it long over the top. And I started my run to get in behind the Madrid backline. But as I take off on the run, I hear Thomas Tuchel yelling from the sideline, Christian, stay in the pocket, don't make the run. But I just had the feeling I'd find the space and get on the end of the pass. So I continued the run. Now, I went back to have a look at that. Mm-hmm. And so Rudiger takes the ball just to the halfway line and there's nothing he sees nothing on so it makes total sense that Pulisic would give him an option now he could have gone to his left and taken it maybe short into feet but he goes long and 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 it's the ball Rudiger's looking for because Rudiger at one point in that move he stands on top he puts his foot on top of the ball right as if what's on here and you can hear now I can't be sure but you can hear someone shouting, and we know that Tuchel is very loud and, and demonstrative on the sideline, but you can hear someone shout something. And and maybe maybe Tuchel did do that. Well, he to probably me, it was did. The... I, I, don't, I don't believe that Christian Pulisic would lie. It's also, no, and also, it's also don't seems forget consistent the... with Tuchel's style of play. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't like... Uh, do you remember against Leeds where um, it was, oh, Koulibaly, tried the same thing. It was much more advanced. So Koulibaly comes in, he has a look up, there's nothing on, and he clips a ball, but he overhits it and it goes straight to Messier. And the camera pans to Tuchel and Tuchel's like, throwing his hands in the air. Like Tuchel in those positions wants you to keep the ball, go left, go right. So yeah, this this tracks. Yeah. Um, What was interesting about it to me is that like, boy, it just felt... It felt like a bit of an unnecessary final parting shot at this guy to say that, like, you know, it's almost like he's trying to tell you that a lot of our success in that Champions League run was in spite of our manager, not because of him, um, which is which wow. is a, a, a kind of a harsh thing to levy against someone. If if you watch, if you listen to either Ken Early's breakdown of of Thomas Tuchel in the final against Man City or the Athletics breakdown, that was all Tuchel. Like Tuchel designed a way of beating the best team in Europe at that point, which was Man City. So, and I know Man City didn't help themselves, not playing the defensive midfield, yada, yada, yada. But at, at the same time, but Andrew, you know, again, top sporting people, like grievance drives them. Yeah. Complaint drives them. Being seen as being underappreciated is a driving force. Um, we'll talk later. I want to briefly talk about the Figo documentary. Okay. But the fact that he felt he was, he wasn't being fully acknowledged and respected by um, Gaspard, the the chairman or the rather the president of Barcelona, was a was a part of his reasoning in making the craziest deal that's ever happened in football history happen by going to Real Madrid. So I I just read this and I think okay. Makes absolutely makes sense. Tracks with what we know of Tuchel and tracks with what we know of of uh, of this player, Christian Pulisic. You know what I thought about when I was reading this? What? So, Thomas Tuchel was fired 
when exactly? Like less than a month ago? Yeah. So he was writing this while <laughs> this Tuka book, was in. Right. This yeah. book was obviously written well before then. He was only fired by happenstance and then the book was released. But like, but, I'd say there was a 95% chance at the time that like this book was going to be released while Thomas Tuchel was Christian Pulisic's manager. How was that going to play? Well, how was it going to play when Lukaku spoke out about the manager in the middle of the season? <laughs> Probably not well. <laughs> right. Probably not well, but at but And P- maybe that Pulisic- was his ultimate goal was to was to force a move and like this was part of the strategy to do that. Perhaps because like if you if you just read these statements all he's saying is, I was I didn't understand and I was very disappointed that I didn't start the second leg of the game. And also, Tuchel yelled at me to not make that run when I scored that great goal. Right. So these are these are digs, but they're not, I mean, they're, it's not outright sedition, you know? It's not outright treason. <laughs> I mean, it, so, it would it would have been viewed that way if oh, Tuchel was still the manager. It reminds me of when... Um, and it would have, Yaps- by the way, it would have way furthered that gap between like the Polisic American support and the Polisic local Chelsea, you know, West London support. Yes. The across the pond uh, culture war. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But Yapstam wrote a book where he talked about things in the dressing room, about individual players. Um, When he was the premier center back in the, the best center back in the premier league uh, at Manchester United and Fergie just got rid of him that summer. And Stam couldn't believe it. Off to Lazio. Shipped him off as soon as he could. And Fergie says the the narrative has been reformed that, oh, well, we were worried about an ankle injury he had and we thought we could cash in. And Lazio wanted him and made an inquiry. And we were all we weren't we were we weren't sure that he hadn't lost a yard of pace. No, he he disrespected the dressing room. He talked out of turn. Mm-hmm. And if anything, Fergie probably suffered for doing that decision as he struggled to try and find a replacement center back. This situation is fascinating building up to this World Cup. Uh, and I wonder, because I, I think about Pulisic, you know, the the commercial that you referenced, which is based around this idea of pressure, this whole his whole career essentially feels like it's been building to this moment. He's this American hope. That's what the 60 Minutes piece was essentially telling you. That like we final America, we finally have one of these guys ourselves. Look what he's doing at some of Europe's biggest clubs and Europe's biggest competition. There is enormous pressure on him. I wonder though if he feels that. Like I, I think he does, obviously, to a certain extent. He's the best player on this team. He's the face of this team. But like, I wonder if there's part of him that has that feels like I'm going through hell right now, week in, week out at Chelsea. You know, like the fans have turned against me. I'm not playing regularly. The frustration has just exploded from out of him. Um, and I wonder if even with all the pressure that he's going to feel being the face of, of a team at a World Cup that missed the last World Cup, so this is eight years in the making, I wonder if he feels like he's around this group of guys supported by this fan base that just like loves him so blindly that like this is where he feels most free in a moment where you would think he would feel the most pressure. I'll be, it'll be just interesting to, to me to see how that kind of manifests itself for him. I'm, I'm super curious because I think – I think we know his standing, like you said, with the U.S. men's national team. What does Graham Potter think of him? How does Graham Potter intend to use him? That, that to me, is really, really fascinating. That's a great question. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We will certainly see. I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's kind of pull on that thread and we'll take a, a little trip away from the U.S. and over to Graham Potter's league. In the Premier League, we'll talk a little bit about a couple things going on over there, Europe in general. You said you had something on what, the Figo documentary? 
I've uh, well, first of all, I have a little piece on uh, the new manager Deserby in at okay. Brighton, and then I've uh, I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, about Figo. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I just started watching it. It's 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 pretty awesome. Well, let's take a break. We'll come right back. We'll do all of that before we get out. More caught off sides still to come. Oh, all right. Winding it down. Uh, caught off side. JJ, I forget. I don't think we talked about this on the pod. I think it was at the dinner the other night. But I, I finished Arsenal all or, uh, all or nothing. Um, yes, and you 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 finished it feeling kind of warm feelings about certain Arsenal players, but also yeah, I know very me... upset that something wasn't addressed. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, so here was my my two overall. Yes, you're right. Um, As a Tottenham fan, I went into this kind of not wanting to like them, Um, but I enjoyed it. I'll say it. I don't know if that makes me a bad fan, but uh, I thought a lot of the guys came off pretty good, and I enjoyed it. Um, Arteta would be a manager that I I would play for. You know, some of his stuff went too far. Because you you love him. He you love that the the fact that he's the carrot top. Of managing. No, so I was going to say the opposite. Like the light bulb thing, that was too far. Like he he he's got a bag of tricks. Some of them work. Some of them don't. He th- he's throwing them all. He's throwing all of them out there. Not they're not all going to stick. And that one didn't stick. But some of them work. Like the thing that he talked about early, his heart condition, like stuff like that. You know, I don't know. I just I kind of like his the way he is with his players. I just I enjoyed him. My only two gripes with the series was one. Uh, well, I guess a couple. I mentioned the Obama Yang thing. I thought they just focused a ton of the time on his transfer saga, and it took away from you know kind of getting to know more about some other players, which I didn't love sure. that. Um, Arteta himself, I think you could have renamed this series from All or Nothing Arsenal to All or Nothing Mikel Arteta. I mean, this this became his show. He was so clearly the main character, the supporting character. Like he was the guy on this show, which you know, again, I liked him, but. I felt like maybe there could have been a little bit more on certain other guys. And then the only other thing, JJ, was I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and ultimately it never arrived. And that was like, I don't know, we're just going to forget that Arsenal uh, had their first, the North London Derby that wound up getting moved to the end of the season. They had that canceled for COVID reasons when they had, what was it, one one or zero, one guy with COVID, like that was a that was a big story, and that was the reason that that game was played at the end of the season, which kind of led to their downfall. Um, they didn't like clearly that game against Tottenham, placed where it wound up getting placed, affected them going into that Newcastle game. They had three days to turn around from that, and they couldn't. Um, so like the fact that was that not being covered was strange to me. Um, that oh, they had, get that they, over had that they had a North London derby postponed. That's a get that's a big that's a big deal, and that should have been included. I'm not saying it needed. to – I'll tell you what. Here's what I'll say about it. It lets me know. It, it's it lets me know that I was right for thinking that was weird. That's what I think. That's how my mind I, reads this because I think like even they were like, you know what? Yeah, don't 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 include that. Don't include that. But also, it, it lets you know that these documentaries. Uh, of the, you know they are heavily edited. They're heavily controlled by the club. They're heavily controlled by uh, the fact that you know we're not going to do what JJ wants, which is let the camera run and give me all the good stuff. You're going to get a sanitized version of things, and you're, we're true. certainly not going to show you anything that would be uh, problematic. Now they could tell. Them, they could say to me, "No, no, no. We didn't include that because we just didn't think it was a big deal." But they're wrong. Getting a North London derby postponed is a big deal. 
Right. Agreed. Agreed. So there you have it. While we're talking this stuff, what did you want to say about Figo? Oh, uh, well, before that, I wanted to say I'm really enjoying uh, Welcome to Wrexham. I, I, Rob McElhenney and uh, Ryan Reynolds have charmed me. Now, I do see the obvious problems with, with uh, two guys pumping money into one club in a division that needs kind of more money to be spread around it. But mm-hmm. it's it's just a fun it's a fun show to watch. And I look forward to every episode. Um, but I've started to, at the prompting of so many of our listeners. Andrew, the Figo documentary on. On Amazon, the Figo transfer documentary, really on not okay. on Amazon, on Netflix. Get it right, JJ. So good. Really? Okay. This, For you to say this. This was, and I'm only halfway through it because I'm doing it in portions. It's it's an hour, it's almost, it's what, an hour and three quarters or something? But it's, so as a young fan, when this happened, like 20 odd years ago, so Pep Guardiola is in it as well, and he's he's excellent. Hmm. Um, and if you're, if you're into seeing a young Pep, a, a fully haired Pep, <laughs> um, it's, it's worth watching. But it, it it was so. I don't think I've ever recovered from it. Hmm. Now I think any transfer anywhere is possible. Once that was made possible, it it it's all on, and that's why the only other one I could compare to was Neymar going to to PSG, and even that's not the same. That was shocking because of the figures involved, because of the club PSG are and the club Barcelona are, but for, Luis Figo going to Barcelona, from Barcelona to Real Madrid, mm-hmm. this icon of Barcelona was just absolutely stunning. It's it's so interesting to see how it came about. It's interesting to note uh, the things about the pre-contract. I got to be careful because I know there's lots of people who haven't seen it. One of the things that struck me also, just from a visual standpoint, is how um, Figo is extremely handsome to the point that <laughs> when he was in like, um, you know, regular clothes... Like, he doesn't look like a footballer. He's built like no other footballer I've seen. Like, he's built like a, a, a rugby player. Or, um, yeah, a rugby player who's now war- working on Wall Street. Um, but, he, like, he, he, he played rugby in college for Yale or something. Like, he just doesn't look like your wiry modern footballer. Um, I'm trying to think and, of other that, guys like that. Like, Pirlo, to me, is somebody that if I saw him on the street in a suit, I would think that's a fashion exec. That's not a soccer player. Right. But it, the, the thing is, yeah, but, you know, if he goes broad shouldered, um, early on had a tar- like ha- has amazing hair. By the way, his hairline is one of the I mean, it's like the Great Wall of China. It's ability. It's ability to endure the passage of time is incredible. It's just wonderful. Wow. I, I, I can't You're help really going deep it's, on this. It's no different from when. Well, but he was such a, a magnetic player. Uh, the the most nervous when when Portugal visited uh, Lansdowne Road for the World Cup qualifier in two thousand and two, and Figo played that game and scored actually. Every time he got the ball, Andrew, it was just like my stomach would start cramping. Hmm. He was that deadly. He was he was just otherworldly, a magnificent player. Interesting. I'm really, oh, just well, you, top, you've top. given me my train viewing. I look. Forward oh, you to have to. Yeah. You, though, again. It's, I'm, I'm restricted by not wanting to ruin it for people, but the details of the transfer, the way the transfer even came about, absolutely stunning. You, it's, I can't recommend it highly enough, and I'm not even finished it yet. Who do you so think good. fans more associate him with, Barcelona or Real Madrid? Great question. I, I, still, I still think Barcelona. 
Okay, because his appearance is like it's pretty much the same. It's like a dead split essentially for the amount of time he spent at both places. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Wow, and he would have been on that team that won in uh, in two thousand and two. Wow, that that is, yeah. When you when you when you put it that way, I mean, I I can still see him. Like maybe my maybe the lasting image is of him in white. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, maybe you're right. Very interesting. But it's just, it's so, it's so, it was so, at the time, it was so utterly, is incongruous the word? The thought of him being at Real Madrid mm-hmm. after all he'd done at Barcelona. And so, at, uh, in or around that time in the preceding years, um, Irish, the Irish language TV, uh, it was called uh, Tina G, uh, Television Negueltoch at the time. They, they had the rights for Spanish football. And so we, we used to get all the Spanish football, the highlights, um, narrated into Irish, which was great. Um, we didn't really even understand Irish, let alone Spanish. <laughs> but um, A lot of how you say. Oh, so much how you say. But it, it, was, it was kind of, it was, he was like this introduction. Uh, we knew all those players. Like, well, you got yeah, me. The, I, I'm in. You got me. Here was the here was the team for the final. Sorry. Okay. Uh, for the uh, the two one win over Leverkusen in the final uh, at Hampden Park, so it was, I mean, household names: uh, Salgado, Hierro, Helguera, Roberto Carlos, Makaleli sitting in defensive midfield, Figo on the right, Solari on the left, Zidane down the middle, Raúl and Morientes. What a t- <laughs> jeez! <laughs> Good lord! Jeez. Well, that would be an interesting thing if we went back and ranked the greatest like Champions League winning teams of all time. This one's got to be up there. Yeah, that one. I mean, I got to think like the um, the Messi, Neymar, Suarez, Barcelona team would be high up there. This could be a fun summer activity because right, we won't have really a World Cup next summer. Like, there's, well, yeah, we'll 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 look at the calendar. Maybe that could be a fun thing. Maybe me and you could just go for beers and talk about it like friends. Well, that's true, too. We certainly yeah. could. And then you could skip out on the bill and leave me with uh, multiple beers to, to handle on my um, own. Unbelievable the narrative that's forming that um, you're creating yet again against me. A couple of things before we get out, JJ. Uh, Hyungman's son, what a performance, came on as a sub. They, so they did the thing that I kind of said it was time to do because, um, like, he was becoming the odd man out for Tottenham. Kane was playing well. Richarlison was playing well. And Kulosevsky had been taken out of the starting 11, but hadn't really done anything to warrant that. They just wanted to give Son every chance to get right. Finally, they like this was the moment they couldn't take it anymore. Son gets sat for the Leicester City match, comes on as a sub, and has like a 14-minute hat trick of just unbelievable goals. Um, now, you texted me afterwards and said that he shushed the fans. And I saw it too, and I... I was thinking that I was thinking the same. Is that what he did there? I don't know that he did. Are was we it sure the it fans was the, or was it just a message see, to like? Because here, because here's what he said afterwards. He himself he admitted that he has not been playing well. He said, "The way I play, I can do much better than I have been. I I have been disappointed. The team has been doing really, really good, but I was disappointed with my performance." Then he said he went further. He said, "I'm getting emotional to be honest. There's been amazing support, and I've always felt like I've disappointed my teammates and fans with my performances. They have always been supporting me." Um, so I don't know. I, like I know that there's been calls in the media that say what's going on here. They got to sit him, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, he's so beloved by that fan base. I'm not sure if he shushed them. I don't know. Is this important? Maybe, I don't maybe know that was it. Is, but... Maybe that was just a general signal to the noise around him. Maybe you know, yeah, because he didn't run to the fans and shush them. He kind of he was kind of stoic almost, which was not which is not like him. I think he's been. You've seen it in his body language over the past few weeks. He's been. He's aware that he's not playing well, and he's been really frustrated by it. It's not something that he's used to. Um, but maybe. But you know, it's like. It's like when, when we, we talked about Frank Lampard at Chelsea, how aware he was of all the talk that was around him to the point where he was like, you know, name-checking journalists who'd written stories about him hmm. um, in press conferences. And I, I, I think we forget that. Maybe someone like Son is, is, is also, if again, probably the guys who go to White Hart Lane week in, week out, the, the supporters, they're not on his back. Maybe there's the odd moan or groan there, but they're probably not on his back. But it only takes maybe him just to log onto Twitter or go onto on, onto social media of some sort and see one thing, and that could set it off. You do, you just don't know. Yeah, um, but it, it, it kind of raises an interesting dilemma for them now because, like, so what do you do when they're all playing well? Uh, Conte is going to have to figure this out, and he has said that like there will be guys who are just rested just because of the congestion, the fixture congestion that they have coming up. So uh, it may just have to be like that. It may not even be a form related thing. It's just like, well, it's it's your turn. You got to sit for this one. He mentioned Kane as somebody that they're going to have to start sitting yeah. on a rotational basis. And so. I mean, it's not like I mean Kulishevsky set up some of the goals. At the there were so many goals, I can't remember all of them. But he put in a beautiful cross for Kane. Was it for the two one, the go ahead goal? Oh, he's um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because, like, when they signed Richarlison, what was it? You you said to me that, like, what is this for? Do they want him as, like, a wingback or something? Because it doesn't – for that amount of money, it was just yeah. like, well, where is he going to fit? Where is he going to play? And when when they're all going good, you're right, he might be the odd man out, which seems hard to fathom considering how much he costs. What was he, $60 million? $55 million, yeah. something like that for a, for a guy that, like, we're not even sure where he's going to play. So I guess it's a good problem to have, but you don't want guys who are informed to kind of be wasting away on the on the bench. Um, so it can it can also be a bad problem to have. Uh, let's see. Arsenal, they keep rolling, JJ, and they played a 15-year-old over the weekend. Good Lord. Yeah. Ethan, uh, Ethan it, Nwaneri, uh 15 it, years, 181 good, days. Is that a good thing, I wonder? 15. I mean, I was doing a lot of reading – on him and like there you hear the word maturity when when he's spoken about um just the stories of like his whole career which again he's 15 his career good god but like at every level he's always been playing with the level above when he was 12 he was playing with the under 14 i know when he was 14 he was playing with the under 16s or whatever so like it's not the same thing though these are grown men with like so much you know, experience and physicality. I mean, look, it's not like he started. Uh, he came on just as like a quick cameo appearance, basically almost like just to get the record. Um, but look, Harvey Elliott did it. Not that much older, right? He was only less less than a year older than what Nwaneri yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not, but I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, Arsenal doing it or someone else doing it. I wonder if it's right period. Um, I remember, was it Evan Ferguson that came on for Bohemians? At 14 in a preseason game against Frank Lampard's Chelsea before locked before COVID. 14. I'd have to check that up. I think it was Evan Ferguson. That is. It just I just, seemed, I don't, it, we talked about it with Freddie Adu once before on the show. Like, I just don't know 
how that got like he might actually on the field have what it takes and can like okay maybe there's a physical element although this guy looks older than 15 I was kind of surprised when they said here comes the 15 year old I was like what that guy but like so he on the field he might have what it takes but just like how does that guy acclimate into a, a locker room of like 30 year olds and and I mean there are young guys on this Arsenal team so he can kind of you know sidle up to Sacco and Smith Rowe and guys like that but even them they've you know they're what five years older than than him yeah like look some players thrive in that and and do very well from the start like Michael Owen springs to mind Wayne Rooney springs to mind uh they had very quite young debuts but um yeah I I wonder we I don't know the data on it and uh just the physical and and psychological aspect of of being thrown into that seems seems a lot yeah um, but it was a good win for Arsenal. They remain uh, they remain hot right now. Very hot, Andrew. And uh, and now they're getting contributions from new sources. Uh, Fabio Vieira came on and scored a great goal, his first goal for the club. Wow, what a, a brilliant goal it was from outside the box. So it's it continues to click. Um, and you know, I wonder watching the all or nothing. Does that did it in any way? Like, did you watch anything in that and feel like? Okay, this team is set up to succeed in this kind of way in the future. Like it ended so negatively, but like, did you feel like you could see kind of like the seedlings of something developing there? Um, no, I'd be lying if I if I said I could, because okay. I didn't think defensively they'd be good enough. You know, so um, uh, Saliba coming back into the side was you have to put a lot of stock in that too, and also and the Jesus, signing, of course, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I suppose, but I, again, yeah, I don't want to be a revisionist now, Andrew, and say, "Yeah, you could see it. You could see it from the documentary." Felt like they had the right guy, though, in in, in Arteta. Felt like they had the right guy. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Vinicius, JJ, we have to talk about the ugliness that went on. Well, before can we can we just finish in England because oh. uh, there's been an appointment at Brighton to replace Graham Potter. Uh, Roberto De Gerbi has come in, Andrew. Um, and uh, there's a very good profile piece by Nick Ames in The Guardian about De Gerbi. Um But we should listen to Graham Soonis first, who, who thinks this is a, it's a potential risk, risky signing. I, I think it's a risk. I have to say, I think it's a risk bringing someone with his CV, the seven jobs in nine years. Um, if you're an outstanding coach, then people want to hold on to you. It's a bit like being a player. If you're a player that had... You know, fifteen clubs, twelve clubs. That's telling a lot about you. It's saying that people, you know, if they want to keep you, they'll keep you because you're a really good player, a really good type round the round the place. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's Graham Soonest there. Not sure about Dejerby offering the fact that he's had uh, seven clubs in nine years. Uh, it should be noted that by the time Graham Soonest took over Blackburn Rovers in the year two thousand, he had had. Seven clubs in nine years. Rangers, Liverpool, Galatasaray, Southampton, Torino, Benfica, and then Blackburn Rovers, with whom he lasted four years before he went to Newcastle United. So, again, just just, just to me, it's... it's he, he also talked about our league. He's, he's a very proper football man. I think yeah. Graham Souness somehow just has... For a guy who played abroad and managed abroad, seems to have a just a low opinion of the ability of uh, foreign managers to come in and do a job in our league. 
Um, but Nick Ames in The Guardian did a really good piece on Deserby. Uh, he said, Deserby's intense focus on being on the front foot was one of the reasons Brighton quickly made him their top choice to take the reins. And as he explained, the level of research he has conducted into a team he acknowledges play with a very clear style. It was clear he detected an appealing fit. They have the right skills and characteristics to play brave football as I want. Um, James Horncastle was talking about this on a podcast this week, and he said Deserby likes to draw the opposition onto his sides, then play through them with extremely elaborate passing. So there's there's a sense with this, Andrew, that he's going to fit in perfectly because his style of play is not that different from the very good style of play of Graham Potter. So the challenge for Deserby now is don't F this up. Um, Carol Matchett in The Independent talked about, a bit about Deserby's weaknesses um, at Sassuolo, um, who he did an excellent job in Italy with. Uh, defending set plays and crosses was also an issue, especially with too many green and black shirts caught ahead of the ball. That's all in contrast to the organized lines in place at Brighton over the past year or so. At the time Deserby takes over as head coach, the Seagulls have the best defensive record in the Premier League. Hmm. So that's kind of... I mean, he's taken over side that aren't in crisis. It's one of those rare ones. Yeah. So he basically has to steward this thing. And of course, he, he wants to play his style of play. But but there's also just, going to be an element of the fan base that's kind of like, no, 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 just keep this train on the tracks. Hey, you know how this train works. Just keep it going the way it's going. And that the the, I suppose, initially... He's going to want to stamp his... Well, maybe he won't want to stamp his name on it. Maybe he will come in and say, less is more. But, um, yeah, Brighton are in a position where they've got one of the uh, the big brains from Italian football. Um, a guy who's... like His style of play is kind of, I would say, maybe a little bit revolutionary. Um, inviting teams on and then playing through them. Um, and again, it's it's not that radically different from from Graham Potter. But like I said, you know, just maybe don't mess this up is, is the, is the byword or is, is what he needs to, to realize with Brighton. One, you wanted to talk about, well, real uh, quick though, new- I just want to close oh, out on this thing. Cause one thing that soon as, you know, soon as saying the seven clubs in nine years thing. Okay. I, I understand that, you know, thoughts like that would go through my head as well. If I was, you know, looking to hire somebody for a job like this, well, why so many jobs? But like, Graham Sooners, if you're gonna say that, you gotta you gotta like peel back the layers of the onion here and understand why some of those job changes occurred. Like JJ, his right. his last club that he was with before Brighton was Shakhtar Donetsk. They won yeah. the league and then he had to go because Russia invaded Ukraine. Like right. it's not like it's like there was no falling out. It's not like there was a problem between him and and the club. Like there was a the Russian invasion occurred. Like it's right, and he he did he did he did really well with a, a couple of teams, and a couple of them got relegated. But like he he left the clubs, you could say, in better state than he found them. But like, does everything have to be linear? Can you not have one job where it doesn't work out? Right. You know, and and Sunis himself had many of those jobs, and he did a fine job in some places. Well, it takes so, one to know one, I suppose. <laughs> he, he yeah, I it. guess I just. I thought there'd be a little bit more managerial solidarity, but um, yeah, I wonder what he'd say if that was, you know, an English or a Scottish manager that was getting this job mm-hmm. or that was being tapped up for this job. Would would he have a different? I also think there's just a he probably hasn't seen or 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 cared to look at maybe a Deserby side, 
And he's on in, one of his criticisms was Dejerby knows how Brighton play. Well, he goes, anyone can Google that. All right, Graham. Well, then maybe you should Google more about Dejerby yeah, himself. Right. Did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Anyway. All right. Well, I'll, I'll boy, I'm curious how this will go now um, with Brighton so high on the table, certainly. And a, and a coaching change like that at this point, very interesting. Uh, yes. Vinicius JJ. So ah. racial abuse. I mean, this is sadly a, a this is not new. Um, now it might be new for him. Um, but, uh, I, I would, I would doubt it. Probably. Um, yeah. You're probably right. Uh, but this, um, I guess just the sheer amount of it in this latest incident between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, um, has, I mean, if nothing else, it's certainly brought a great deal of shame to Atletico. Uh, that's kind of what they called out in their statement. They're going to obviously look to find the people responsible. There were songs being sang. Uh, there was also even preceding this a guest on a show that we've talked about before, El Chiringuita, um, where a guest on that program referred to some of Vinicius's antics after scoring goals as you know him monkeying around was the quote that they used. And yes. Real Madrid um, it, um, filed it a complaint was, um, over that. Who was it said it? It was speaking on oh, this is from AS uh, the U.S. version speaking on the Spanish TV show El Chiringuito. On Thursday, Pedro Bravo said Vinicius should stop acting the monkey. This prompted a public threat of legal action from Madrid, Madrid and leading the forward himself to denounce the xenophobia and racism in Bravo and others' criticism of his celebrations. Now, Bra- Bravo said, oh, I was just saying, stop fooling around. I didn't mean it like stop acting the monkey, but I, I cannot believe someone would go on the biggest football TV show in Spain and be so loose mm-hmm. and casual with their references. I mean, like, what did he think he was saying by referring to a, a, a player of color as a monkey in any context? Yeah. Just so, Terrible. so grim. Yeah. Um, JJ, I saw Julian Loren was uh, calling for Atletico to have to play. I think he was saying their next Madrid derby behind closed doors. I, w- I, would, I would agree. I would support that. Yeah, I mean, if 100%. they if they really if they want to be serious about this, and it's not just you know identifying, we want to identify the people who did it and and expel them from club membership and ban them. I, I think if you're really serious about it, then it has you kind of have to make a bigger statement. Um, you know, this, I I think I think so too, Andrew, and um, and also, uh, you know, El Chiringuito itself, like, is there not a, a Spanish TV watchdog? And again, I'm not policing speech. But um, you see what I, that was incitement to hatred. Yeah, I don't know what the Spanish law is on that, but um, uh, AS did say that the incidents have sparked an investigation by La Liga with the Spanish League to compile a report on the abuse before sending it to Spain's Anti-Violence Commission. And I hope part of that is is the influence of what was said on, on El Chiringuito. Um, now that's not an excuse for what the Atleti fans still did, but like. Um, yeah, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have that platform and be able to just speak so, um, with such, or prompt such hatred from what you say. No, of course not. Um, so I'll be curious how this plays out and what the punishment will be, and if uh, if La Liga gets involved or if this remains kind of an issue for Atletico to handle themselves. But I would I would like to see La Liga take some kind of stance on this because it was ugly. It was really the scenes were really ugly, um, and it's obviously a, a thing that needs to be expelled from not just the sport but from society at large uh let's see before we get out jj two final quick things 
You had mentioned Bayern Munich to me during the week. Um, it's funny, after their first game, what was their first game of the season? They won 6-1, I think. And I remember we kind of yeah. joked, like, you know, I think I sent you, like, the, the Family Guy video of, like, remember? I the think, Mets. Right. The first pitch of the season, and, and, like, and that's it, season's over. Like, that was, <laughs> and it felt a little bit like that with Bayern when they won 6-1. But since then, you know, draw against Mönchengladbach, um, what was they? Uh, uh, I know they just lost to Augsburg, like other draws yeah. along the way. And now you all of a sudden you look at the, the Bundesliga table and they're fifth. Um, five, five points, points off, off the lead. Yeah. Now, if you look at it, I, I saw some underlying metrics for Union Berlin, Andrew, which would suggest that they, they may not be in the title race for the duration. Although, who knows? Maybe the, the numbers are wrong, but uh, it suggested that their XG... Um, that they were basically completely outshooting, outscoring their XG. Mm. And that should revert to, you would expect that will revert to normal eventually. Uh, but seeing Byron sat there uh, with only one win in the last five is, it's kind of spectacular. And it's refreshing to look at the table like that. You know, RB Leipzig in 12th, um, and a top four of Ber- uh, Union, Dortmund, Freiburg, Hoffenheim. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. And if we flip to, not to, un, um, I don't want to muddy the waters here, but if you flip to Italy, you've got Napoli on top, Atalanta, Udinese, and Lazio comprising the top four, with Milan in fifth, Roma in sixth, Inter in seventh, and Juve themselves with only one win in five, Way back, seven yeah. points off the top in eighth after losing to Monza at the weekend. Unbelievable. Monza, who are 18th, by the way, in Serie I think that was Monza's first ever win in the, in top flight. Uh, incredible. I mean, look, it feels like this has in some ways been building with Juve. You know, their their trajectory has clearly been downward over the last three se- three seasons or so. Um, but, but, it is a, like, but it is a long season. And um, If you go on, it is a long season, but I mean... Are they going to be fighting for top four? Um, I, I guess they will be eventually. Um, do they stick with Allegri? I, online, Juventus wants him gone in the worst way possible. <laughs> yeah, and the and and even the vision of like Dejerby going to going to Brighton, like little old Brighton, um, which has a lot more money than most Serie A teams. To be fair, but little old Brighton is kind of. And they're stuck with this kind of dinosaur in Allegri is, um, is a contrast they're not uh, happy to be gazing upon. Yeah. Um, and finally, before we get out, JJ, so oh when, when Ted Lasso, when this all first began, could you have it's just ever, a joke? Could you have ever imagined, could you have ever dreamed that it would be culminating where you could be this club, AFC Richmond, in FIFA? That they would actually include them, that the show would be so popular that they would be included in the video game. That's what's happened now. You can be them in FIFA. Jamie Tart. Uh, who else? Uh, I guess Roy Kent retired, right? So I don't know. Is he on the team in this game? I'm not sure. But oh, I think he. I think they showed graphic of him crunching into a tackle. Okay. Yeah. And great. Ted, and there's Ted on the in, on yeah, the sidelines Jason in video Sudeikis. game form. Yeah. I mean, wow. what, like. It's just, it's a true story of success. Oh, and, yeah. And I know it sickens you because you're just not in on, you're not part of the joke. You don't get it is the problem. 
Oh no, I I I get it. Oh. Uh, I get it. It's just you know, not very good what what you get. I could picture you because you're so spiteful, um, and you have a such a black heart. I, I could see you buying because you're not a video game guy, but I could see you buying this game and like putting it on like the easiest level just so you can be like Real Madrid and play them and just routinely pound them but like 11 nil, you know, 13 well, like, one. Like to me, this is like, why would you, why would you go if you play FIFA? Like, they're to me, the whole point of it is to it's like football manager. Or any of those. It's to not be exactly. part of what you can't be part of. Like, why would you do something that's so that's not a, it's not a real thing? Like Richmond, AFC Richmond, or whatever they're called. Have you why learned? You you've learned nothing over the course of this series. They're, the popularity of the show it dwarfs all. I, oh, I it's bet huge. you. I don't, oh, I mean, I don't know not... if you can track these kind of metrics. I bet you can, but like, I bet more people will play as them than any other team in the game. I mean, that's that would be a sad commentary if that's true. More than the current Real Madrid team. More than Ange Postacar. More Celtic fans who are FIFA fans are going to play AFC Richmond than Ange Postacoglu's amazing Celtic team. Remember, a lot, of, a lot of people who have this video game aren't necessarily tied to a team. Yeah, they, they like are, the they sport and they love yeah. the video game. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people who play FIFA aren't that bothered about football. We're going to track the metrics on this. I think, hey, listen, I think you should Good luck that. to them. Good luck to them. Yeah. Indeed. Just not for me. No, it's not. Five. It's not. Uh, hey, I think that's I think that's it. I think that's, that's a it. meaty podcast considering it's an international league. Yeah, I know. I know. We t- they're all like this. Like I don't even doesn't even phase me anymore. Every week we're going to there's a ton to talk about. Um, Are you going to watch the Figo documentary now? Uh, I, yeah, I'm, literally I just finished a movie, so I've been taking the train to work lately and um, I kind of hate it. I like to drive. I, I don't like having to be beholden to a schedule. But the one really good thing is, like, I can now watch stuff on my phone or iPad or whatever. So I just finished a movie, um, which was actually pretty good, on Netflix called A Call to Spy. And it was uh, it was very good. Uh, but I just finished that yesterday, so I need something new. And this is perfect. This is just absolutely perfect. Probably like three or four train rides, get it done. And I'm excited about it. So thank you. Thank Great you. Great stuff. Yeah, that's excellent. And you know, I know you you've always wanted more quiet time, but now you've kind of got quiet time. This is your worst nightmare. You've got quiet time with the general public on a train. That is oh my god. Talk you about painting false narratives. The one you've painted of me that I just am this anti-people person that I can't stand the presence of people. It's so far from the truth, but you've painted it so brilliantly and now it's accepted fact and it's not fair. Um, and I'm going to work the rest of my life to prove you wrong. And I want to be that person <laughs> who loves people. Hey, I this look was... forward to bright, out there, open, friendly Andy. Me too. Me too. I look forward to meeting that guy as well. This was fun, my friend. U.S. Friday, 825 a.m. We might, we'll see. Might have something after that. Keep your eyes open just in case. Uh, hey, JJ, to you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. How you say... Goodbye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 